and welcome to the CityWire Ratings Radar Show again, uh, and the last one for this year, so we're going to make it very special. Uh, we've all got our Christmas party hats on, you can't see it because it's a podcast, but you have to take our word for it. Uh, so thank you for joining us, and as usual I'm joined by Angus Foote, Frank Talbot, and Nisha Long. And uh, it's Nisha who's going to start us off, because she's going to have a look back at what's happened this year, very uneventful, as we all know, uh, and uh, maybe even project a bit into what might happen next year. So, uh, so sorry to throw that one on you, Nisha, but I'm sure you can go. Uh, Nisha, take it away. Yeah, so as you said, uh, it's a reflection of the year and what has really stuck in my head um, with the events that have gone on. And for me, it's been about the fundamentals of the markets being thrown out the window, basically. Sense of false markets with continuous pumping of money by central banks into the economy. I mean, this hasn't stopped. It's not new. new. Um, they haven't stopped since the global financial crisis. And, you know, buying up government bonds, corporate bonds. Um, but also this year has been, for me personally, as an investment analyst, you know, looking at markets for God knows how long. You know, throughout the textbooks, you know, because they don't make sense anymore or the markets don't make sense anymore. You know, and I say that because you've had so many different investment themes coming up this year. You've had the meme stocks, you've had cryptocurrencies. Um, there's quite a few things that have just been, you know, what on earth is going on in my mind anyway. Um, but I wanted to start with looking at, um, you know, the CBO, the VIX volatility index. Now, that's like a... Um, it's a real-time index represent the market's expectations for volatility. So it looks at the 30 day, the forthcoming 30 days, and measured by the S&P um, 500 futures. And anything above 13 on this index uh, indicates like a volatile market. So at the start of a year, we started at around um, was it 29, and so we had the Delta variant of the COVID-19 variant, you know, around that time. And just last week, well, so 3rd of December this was at 31. So again, because of the you know COVID, the Omicron variant uh, first found in South Africa and the index shot up again. But now, just coming back to what I was saying before, is now back at 20, which has gone down and that's kind of been a consistent figure throughout the year. So it's like as if investors have had the shock of the new variant, but now it's like, what, what about Omicron? kind of, you know, it is a bit, you know, investors have gone piling back into the markets again, into equities, etc. So it has been quite a, you know, up and down on that front, especially with volatility. But I'm not sure if um, people are taking that into account anymore. You know, it's like, okay, it's volatile for a minute, let's move on. Um, so it's that short termism, you know, they're moving on very quickly, whereas before it used to, you know, stick around quite a bit. So that that's one of the areas which is just, yeah, is kind of mind boggling. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure all of you have views on the meme stocks and what can I say, Reddit users who drove up GameStop, you know, you had the AMC and in June this year, GameStop, I mean, it was in the Russell 2000 index. It jumped into the Russell 1000 because of market um, share that it had. It jumped so high because of these Reddit users. Um, so the retail market, you know, pouring into the stock, no fundamentals there at all. You know, they, they weren't analysts you know who were pouring into these kind of stocks but what happened was that you know some of the index trackers they were forced buyers of this they had to have it in the index because it was in the index and now it's in the S&P 600 not quite the 500 but it's in the S&P 600 now who would have thought that a couple of years back or even you know last year it's just a bit um, crazy what's happened there um, yeah I don't know what you guys think about that it's just yeah a bit strange for me 
Go on, Angus. Uh, what do we do in a world that makes no sense? <laughs> well, you see, I think I think we need to untangle uh, two or three things here, because if we're talking about fundamentals, I think the fundamentals are always there. And what's happened over the last year, two years, is that there's a lot more noise, because a lot of these things, are, essentially, to me, are, are just just noise, isn't it? You know, meme stocks and Bitcoin and all the rest of it, whatever you think about the validity of those kinds of activities long term, in the short term, it's just confusing. So I think that I think that what will happen is what always happens. And that is that the the investors, the fund managers who do have a clear long term fundamental view and stick to it, are the ones who will come through. That's what always happens, pretty much. You know, it's always the people that, that avoid jumping on bandwagons, that, that don't get sideswiped by the latest, you know, cacophony that's coming from some supposed new section of the market. Uh, and I think in a, in a way, I mean, you talk about volatility, Nisha, it, it's, it's, it's getting back to, as I say, untangling long-term fundamentals versus these short-term swings in sentiment. Yeah, I mean, one thing I have to say is that it's been a tough time for active managers as well, you know, knowing which stocks to go into. They've had the flip side of, as well, the long-term managers. If they hadn't gone into some of these stocks, they've lost out a lot. You're talking about the fangs as well. So if you weren't, you know, heavily invested in those, you you lost a lot or it didn't come out in time when they started to drop, you know, so you've had to make those calls as well. Are you still going to be invested in those stocks? Um, you know, and if we didn't, you know, what happened? For example, semiconductors, there's a massive shortage this year. Those who haven't gone into those type of stocks have lost out, you know, because because of this shortage, it is short termism, whether they did it via an ETF or, you know, whatever, uh, or within their portfolios. But it's been over the last two years. It's not even like short term, as in we're talking six months. This is two years. That's kind of, you know, verging on going a bit longer term um, and shifting stuff in your portfolio or rebalancing because it has had an effect of where you've been and, you know, where you've lost out. I think that's right, Nisha. But I think also if there is something new, or newish that we've seen, or that I've seen in the areas that I cover, it is people taking that more sophisticated approach of here's my long-term core and here are my uh, shorter-term tactical opportunist trades almost around that, which could be the you know thematic ETFs or uh, you know those kinds of products and strategies. So I think that's something which has gathered pace in the segments that I cover. Right. I mean. Frank, let's bring you in here because uh, we haven't heard from you. But uh, you spend a lot of your time looking at the funds and the fund managers that have been making the the big impact over the year. What, what sort of what sort of smoke signals are emerging from from what you see? You know, is there anything you can tie together about who who you know what which fund managers succeed and which others don't do as well? It's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm with Nisha here. There's a great deal of rationality present in a lot of the valuations that, that we're seeing. There is that sense of deja vu. Nothing, not a lot has changed uh, year, year to year. You know, we, we came in 
potential new variant was going to derail the fragile global recovery. That was the story at the end of 2020. It's the same thing at the end of 21. We were talking about inflation coming into the year. Little has changed there, despite the fact that everyone now talks about it. You know, same goes for concerns about China uh, that persisted throughout the year. I think, you know, what, what both Angus and Nisha are talking about is that there aren't a lot of options out there for, for investors today. What what do you do? Do you put your money in cash? That's a terrible idea with, with inflation running as high as, as it is. Do you, do you brave it and go to fixed income? Again, huge risk dominate there. So you're, you're sort of left in a quandary. I don't think there are many sophisticated investors out there thinking that everything is peachy. I, I you know, defy anyone to say that, yeah, we're going to have another bumper 20% year. But there were probably very few at the end of 2020 saying we were going to have such a, a strong year, which we have had pretty much universally uh, year to year. I, I think I think we're, we're waiting for the paradigm to, to change uh, before making any big calls. But uh, you're, you're sort of left just stuck, stuck being fairly heavily invested in, in equity markets. I think maybe that growth bias has, has changed slightly. There are some numbers coming out suggesting that if you take out the fangs from the S&P this year, then it doesn't look as, as pretty. You've got Alphabet up 70% year to date. It's a huge number. Pretty similar healthy numbers coming out of, of Apple as well. It's more like 25%. But still, it's been, it's, been, it's been a good year for them. But maybe we're seeing a sell-off in the less the less glamorous stocks further down the food chain. And then maybe that's the start of, of the bubble bursting. But we're still left with very little options about what to do with those investments. So uh, it's, it's, it's a tough, tough climate. Angus? Well, I was going to say, listening to you talk, Frank, and, and, and thinking back to what Nish was saying about meme stocks, and uh, you, you said something about, you know, are we going to have a bumper 20% year? I mean, it, it, perhaps the problem is that people are looking for bumper twenty percent years, and that's you know that's what drives the meme. Yeah, expecting. That's what drives the meme stock friendly uh, frenzy. You, you, you're constantly bumping into people that tell you they've made you know twenty times their investment in cryptocurrency. Or, and uh, Nisha, I know you've read Daniel Kahneman's book, this famous uh, sort of psychologist stroke economist, and he he had this idea. He talks quite a lot about this idea of gain regret, doesn't he? Where you know, which essentially is FOMO in a in a more sophisticated world where you know people who made 10 percent are happy till they discover that somebody else made 20 and, and you kind of need to get back to being happy with the, the the sensible modest return and not go chasing the you know the cryptocurrency short-term return i mean fine do that with your trading money if you can afford to but but it's not it's not a long-term strategy, is it? The other thing I was going to mention, you mentioned fixed income, Frank. So I guess working out what's going to happen in the fixed income space next year is, is, a, is a huge challenge. I mean, we talk, about, we talk a lot about equities because that's where a lot of the more exciting stories tend to be. But, you know, fixed income is still a huge chunk of most professional investors' portfolios. So what they do with that and what happens in that space next year, I think, is a massive um, a massive question. Uh, and Nisha, I know, you know, that fixed income's your world. And I, I can see you want to come in. But I was the other thing I was going to chuck at Frank after Nisha's uh, talked about fixed income is I'd, I'd love to hear. I know you were talking recently to Jeremy Grantham, Frank, who's a, a hugely respected investor in the professional space. Love to hear what he had to say and what he thinks. But, but Nisha, I think you wanted to say something about fixed income. Yeah, just because you're on the point of fixed income, I think um, where some of the money has gone is to do with inflation. It's like inflation-linked products um, and, you know, bonds. Uh, money has been going in there to protect um, your um, capital. But also, um, 
where investors, the more sophisticated investors, have been going into securitized credit. So you're looking at your asset-backed securities, mortgage-backed, etc. And you know that that's where the money is going for the search of yield. Now, this, as you all know, this was the downfall of the global financial crisis. You know, but there's so much regulation has come back in that. So you've got a lot of, as I said, regulation behind it. So more money is going through that. It's not the downfall that and the high leverage levels that we were seeing during the global financial crisis. But, you know, there are some funds out there doing very, very well. And I think I mentioned before on this podcast, like, for example, the PIMCO GIS Income Fund, a massive fund, you know, run out of the States by Dan Iverson um, and managers. Um, they are heavily into these kind of securities as well, which has done, you know, phenomenally well over the last year for fixed income. Well, they've got to, they've got to do something. I, I don't know if anyone saw the Pension Protection Fund Purple book that came out the other day. Pass me by that one, I'm afraid. Yeah, I know. It's a bestseller. <laughs> but uh, someone drew out some pretty amazing graphs from it. That you know, There's UK-defined benefits pension funds and per force of, you know, liability, blah, blah, blah. They've got about 72% of their money in, in fixed income. So, A, they've missed out on this, you know. And over the past 20 years, I think, their equity portion has fallen from 54% to 24%. Missed out on massive gains there, stuck in this fixed income rut because you know they've got to match liabilities. Yeah, and it's a pretty shocking situation. So, you know, maybe they are moving into Chinese bonds that are paying four percent. Maybe they are moving into these securities. I don't know. I doubt it. Somehow, I suspect it's all in gilts, and that is a pretty, pretty poor picture if you're a, a member of one of these pension funds. Well, I, I still want to hear what Frank. I still want to hear from Frank what Jeremy Grantham had to say. Yeah, so if you want to hear the full interview with Jeremy Grantham, please check out the Mistakes Were Made podcast that, that we did with him where we asked him what his biggest investment mistake was. And, you know, without ruining it, he learned his lesson in an investment bubble. You know, that's why he's made a career. This is the GMO founder. Um, he's, he's made a career out of spotting investment bubbles very successfully. Japan in the was it late 90s sorry i'm not i'm not quite that old to, to remember when the nikkei hit 40,000 yes but i've heard people talk about it um and uh, and again in the great financial crisis and and he's been calling time on in fairness this s&p bubble for 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 most of this cycle um but what i found that really stuck with me is that people always say the same things oh this time is different oh you know there's there's the different competitive advantages and and you know you you know you don't understand the fangs you don't understand what what they're doing to the world and it's it's a very compelling argument it's also the the the, the allure of an investment bubble the allure of things going up 10 times 20 times you just want to get in you don't want to as as angus said the gain gain regret I prefer FOMO personally. Uh, it's pro- probably more my generation, but I think I think Jeremy it was very convincing as to why you're going to look back at this point in history and just laugh at some of the prices you were paying for particular stocks, and we see that very clearly in the electric vehicle market today. The whole world is looking to get on on this next trend and get involved and, and not not be left behind, and so that. They're ploughing obscene amounts of cash into car companies which don't make any cars or rather sell any cars. Yet, yeah, Rivian and Lucid Motors. They have they have both sold their I mean at least delivered their, their first vehicles to to customers now. But it's the it's the same story with Tesla. Uh, it, there's 
there's definitely a lot of froth out there. I think it's a time to be sensible with the decisions that you are making. It, it, it'd be tough to turn around to clients, though, if, if again, Tesla had another 10 bag a year and you weren't invested in it. And what and why weren't you? That is probably that the, the pressure that you feel from the end investor it might make you make uh, a decision you're not particularly comfortable with. Again, this is something that, that Mark Mobius was talking about in another one of our mistake, mistakes were made podcast. Sorry to plug it again, uh, where he was saying that, you know, even him, an investor of his note, when, when a, a big ticket investor came in and said, why aren't you deploying my capital right away? And he would say, there just aren't the investment opportunities. If, if I go in now, I'm just just buying the beta. Uh, and and he, he himself said he, he occasionally made decisions he wasn't particularly happy with because he was receiving pressure from investors. So if it affects him, then I'm sure it goes further down the train, the chain rather. Yeah, I just wanted to come in then what you were saying as well uh, with the valuations as well. I think that's why I said at the start of the podcast that, you know, fundamentals are being thrown out the window because, you know, these stocks are toppy. They are buying at these toppy. You wouldn't see a fund manager buying those kind of things, you know, five years earlier. So it does seem a bit of, you know, a bit of weirdness in the market buying at those levels. But as I said before, if you weren't buying them, you're not getting the returns. It's just one of the, um, for example, DocuSign. So it didn't reach its earnings estimates, you know, and what happened to it? It had massive falls, you know, and some of the stocks, you know, we'll see after Q4, well, Q4 earnings, you know, how they will go. Even Facebook had that as well. So all these managers who were, you know, going into these kind of fang stocks or anything that was, how can I put it, um, COVID pandemic related when we were all in lockdown. So Zoom, HelloFresh, DocuSign, they're not doing as well as they were. I mean, you had this trajectory of it going way up and now this year it's gone back down to their normal levels again because people are not working from, well, I say not working from home. I know in the UK we will be from next week, but, you know, you do have those stocks which are not, you know, as I said, we're not going to be using Zoom as often or DocuSign, etc. And that's why they're falling off. But in your analysis, Nisha, are you, are you finding uh, a decent swathe of, of good performing managers who are avoiding these bandwagon stories? I mean, you have, you know, the long term investors that, you know, have been around for a long time. So you are looking at the Hugh Youngs of this world, um, you know, who are still in their fundamental strategies. Um, and I mentioned before the PIMCO GIS in confirmed, you know, whatever they do, you know, some people do follow what they do in their portfolios as well. And it's the same story again, you know, keeping to that, doing what they said they would do basically in their objective. They're not swaying. They're keeping to, you know, they're not in and out of stocks or changing their objectives, etc. You know, they're the long term players and they haven't really um moved in now as much as other and you might not have backed those managers as well because you, you weren't getting the 50% 60% gains etc but they are the steady gainers and that's why I say compounding you know over the next 10 years who's going to come out as the winners and I just wanted to mention one manager here which has so the bit capital um BIT capital Jan Becker's AAA rating manager you know he does so well out of this pandemic, you know, the launch of funds. He's even now launched a crypto fund, a fintech fund, but he made most of his money. He's still in the top three ranking position in his sector. He's still a very, very good manager, but he made his money out of those stocks that I've just mentioned, like the DocuSigns, HelloFresh, Zoom, Fangs, you know, his fund's called Global Internet Leaders. And he's done very well in my analysis through the last two years, every single quarter, he has been the top performer except for Q3. You know where you know all the um, 
India managers were, um, equity managers were at, at the top. But otherwise, you know, you look at the whole year performance, he's there on top because he was in these stocks. But I'm not sure, you know, how long term that can be. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm actually just read a, an alert on CityWire about Nick Train, a very storied UK manager. Uh, he's had a pretty bad year. He's had lots of outflows. But uh, so he's up 20% as against 33%. 36% for the, for the market as a whole. Yet, you know, over five years, he's 52% versus 36%. Uh, so, you know, he's not got involved in meme stocks. He's had a few horrors like Hargreaves Lansdowne and Burberry and stuff like that. But he's sounding pretty confident, you know. In a, you know, I think in the end, you do have to uh, believe these people uh, that uh, are, you know, check the long-term record, see if they're talking sense. They usually are, so stick with them. I think might might, might be the way forward. Uh, I just like just to pick up one thing. You know, I think Frank said it: cash earns nothing, which is absolutely true. Uh, but cash, uh, cash is better if you're in cash and the market is falling twenty percent. So maybe we're going to see some of that as it's well. Market timing, though, Richard. Yeah, time, time, timing, timing the market is a, is is a fool's errand. Yeah, and I think it it's not a fool's errand if you can do it. Well done. Well, but it's interesting. <laughs> they've, they've shown quite convincingly it's very yeah. tough to I do. I mean, Nisha mentioned Hugh Young, you know, who's a manager who's fallen in and out of favour over the years. And yet over the long term, you know, he's rewarded investors. Talent will out. Uh, on that optimistic note, uh, let's wrap up proceedings so we can get on with our virtual Christmas uh, engaged show. Christmas, uh, Sorry, uh, the uh, City Our Ratings Radar show virtual Christmas lunch. We'll all have to pull our crackers on our own. Uh, thank you to Frank, Nisha and Angus as ever. Uh, thank you to all for listening. This is, as I said, the last show of the year. We will be back next year. Uh, mighty cheers there. And uh, may I wish you all the best over the uh, holiday season. 